This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here I am with my co-host, it's Jan, back from the grave of open source being cancelled by the EU. <laughs> A banned, not cancelled, banned. <laughs> I thought you were going to say back from the grave from purgatory, because we're talking about purgatory today, aren't we? Indeed, indeed. Because uh, obviously one of the reasons why the EU is you know, definitely going to ban open source is that it's terrible. Terrible. <laughs> in so many different ways. Uh, well, seven to be exact. Yeah, indeed. At least at least according to uh, an article in InfoWorld, which uh, is the source of inspiration of uh, this, this week's uh, episode. Um, I think it's fair to say that Kind of Jon and myself have spent uh, quite some time in the uh, the annals of open source in sort of open source arena. Is that fair? Uh, yes, and I can attest that that's been the beginning. It was pretty much purgatory. It was a, it was a slog. <laughs> it wasn't easy. I mean, the kids today they don't know how good they have it. I mean, it's so easy now. You download an ISO, you install it, and it just works. It's magic. Well, in the olden days, open source had a lot more downside and also a lot more upside for some reason. I don't know. Hmm. Well, we're, we're in particular talking about the downsides that at least uh, one, uh, one particular individual believes are, are in place <laughs> around open source. And uh, we're going, I wouldn't say necessarily rip this apart, but I think there are some things about this that are overly naive and there are some things that I just fundamentally like, disagree with so uh, we have our own interpretation of the facts as always Jan is far more diplomatic than myself <laughs> this was the first I think <laughs> well let's let's dive into it with uh, the, the first, first was totally non-controversial yeah open source doesn't work with the cloud apparently okay agreed next <laughs> I mean, oh God! So the 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 point behind uh, this, behind the rather inflammatory title, is around the the topic. In fact, Jon, you and I were discussing this ahead of uh, uh, the actual recording. It's it's the the author's objection is primarily around open source licensing, in their view, kind of not being written for cloud slash cloud providers slash adoption in that way yeah but you can't say it doesn't work with cloud then i, I would say the reverse open source licenses work brilliantly for cloud <laughs> they can hyperscales can do whatever they want with it they can make a lot of money it's perfect for some party in the whole equation but a little less interesting nice for the other party that i must agree with yeah and it, it's sort of you can go and spin up anything yourself in cloud, whether open source or not, like there's almost no limitations there, apart from like some workloads are banned by certain hyperscalers for certain reasons. Like some some hyperscalers ban uh, um, various mining applications and things like that. But beyond that, <laughs> mining applications, open source. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but beyond that, the the sort of the main piece here seems to be around the fact that um, you know the the licenses are sort of written or many open source licenses are written in a way that the uh, quote unquote predatory uh, cloud providers are able to 
abscond and uh, you know whip away all of the uh, the code and do as they wish and run all these things as much as they like. Which, to Jan's point, surely that means that uh, this stuff actually runs great in the cloud, and it's just a question of whether or not you object to the way that cl um, cloud providers interoperate with open source projects, their maintainers, and in some cases, the organizations that are behind them. Yeah, and I mean, the whole cloud thing, it, it's people trying to enforce morality on a business relationship. Uh, it's always a bad idea. I mean, stuff got stuff got made, people are using stuff, people using stuff in a way that the original creator didn't intend. Is that bad? Oh, no. I mean, the cloud guys, they're not doing anything wrong. If you look at the legalese of the whole thing, if they are doing something wrong morally, depends on what side of the line you're standing at, I guess. I mean, mm. if you're being, if your salary is getting paid by a hyperscaler, and the hyperscaler is able to pay your salary because they are doing, quote unquote, bad things with open source, do you still think it's bad? It's all a morality thing, and mm. I'm not even going to say where I stand on the whole equation because it also depends by project, to be honest. Mm. Some projects, in my opinion, deserve more goodness <laughs> than other projects. No, that don't wish anything bad to anybody, but I mean, some open source projects are just open source in name and trying to get more of a market share by putting a label on it saying it's open source, while other open source things are actually that lone developer in the basement making something brilliant and getting no recognition for it. Again, trying to put morality on that thing. It's a business situation. Open mm. source has rules. Cloud providers play by the rules. You, as a consumer, can still define what you are agreeing with and not. And uh, yeah, as always, consumers, we are able to vote in our wallets. If you don't think certain parties are doing things you can live with, then don't buy that product. Don't use that product. You still mm. have that choice. But going into the, the, the social media to proclaim your defense for the downtrodden or whatever, I'm trying to say old English mm. stuff, which I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really matter. And also, I mean, it doesn't work with cloud. It's not just cloud. This is also valid for things that are not cloud. Yeah. Yeah, it just... Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I just think that this is very very misleading in terms of how they're trying to position this and you know it's got us talking about it so maybe that means it's worked <laughs> well one thing i'd like to note actually is that when, when i was working at a, at a cloud provider and you had all these linux distributions on there mm -hmm. well actually those were commercial things because mm -hmm. if you wanted to yeah. run centos on that thing you couldn't just download CentOS because you needed the drivers to make the stuff work on that hyperscaler. They typically had pretty deep level hardware drivers and you had, I think CoreLogic was one of the, the ones that made those distributables, I don't know. But you never mm. download, you never installed Ubuntu or CentOS, you downloaded or installed commercial entity BLAS packaging of that open source software. So is it still purely open source? If somebody spent time and presumably money on building a better package to make it run on a cloud provider. Yeah, I mean, when when I was at you know, Canonical, the people behind Ubuntu and OpenStack, they made huge amount of money out of all of the cloud providers by providing builds of Ubuntu for the hyperscalers for them to run in their clouds and for their customers to, to run in their clouds. Like it, it was a 
It was a commercial relationship, absolutely. So. And that license was typically not uh, charged to the consumer. I mean, the consumer still paid mm -hmm. for the VMs and probably the VMs were bringing more money than what they cost to the hyperscaler. I mean, it's a business model, obviously. But if you wanted to run Lin uh, Windows, you had to have a license for that on top of whatever the VM costs. All those, well, quote, quote, commercial Linux packagings were just available for free. Yep, indeed. See, cloud, it isn't all bad. No, indeed. Cloud and open source, hand in hand, all fine. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Maybe not quite that far. Okay, let's let's hit the next topic here. Um, open source has a diversity issue. Um, my objection here is that I think I don't think this is limited to open source. I think this is the entire tech, tech industry has a, a huge challenge with diversity. Not just the tech industry, it's pretty much worldwide at this moment, no matter where you go. The white male stereotype is still floating on top everywhere. Mm, indeed. And the things that kind of further frustrate me is that I started to kind of dig in. There's a few links that I mentioned here, and I started to dig into some of the links. and. I couldn't actually see anything that kind of led me to believe that the way the way that the data was being presented that it is actually like again the point here is that oh open source is even worse than the general tech industry and like I don't from what I what digging I've seen and what I've looked into I I don't believe that to be the case I I think that's I think that there are, I think it does get more exposure because things are a lot more open, but I still think the fundamental challenges are like regardless of whether, whether you're talking about open source or you're talking about kind of the wider tech industry, I think the diversity challenges are the same across the board. Um, I would actually agree that open source has a bigger problem with it. Mm. But due to its openness, that bigger problem is also better addressed, to be honest. Mm. But the thing with open sources is that it's a meritocracy. So the people that do a lot of stuff kind of get to get play dictator on their thing. And nepotism is pretty much a normal thing. I mean, it's a normal instinct to take your family first, to, to have your friends enjoy the benefits you enjoy. So if a project on open source happens through a brilliant person writing something, it's kind of normal that that group around the, the existing group around the person will be the group that is in that project. And that can have a problem with diversity. A lot of public companies or private companies even, but a lot of commercial companies now have diversity uh, goals they need to meet. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that's a good or a bad thing, I'm not going to say. Yeah. Uh, but in open source, those rules typically are more, uh, sure, we would love diversity because it's a good thing, but hey, I'm just building this project out of the goodness of my heart. I got the people I got to have, and that's a bit. That's about it. So I do think that a lot of projects, especially the smaller ones, have a diversity problem, and not just a problem because non- in Crapple don't get a chance, but the problem with the quality of the software will not be as good because there's a lack of diversity. I mean, diversity is a moral mm -hmm. thing, but in the end, the only reason that commercial companies think about diversity is because they can make a buck. And how can you make a buck out of diversity? Because you are able to address a broader margin, a market, because you have all of the 
cultural differences, whatever's in your product. So it's about the product in the end. For mm -hmm. open source, it's more of a problem because that doesn't really get that taught out. But mm -hmm. as you said, open source has a much more transparent character, which means that any kind of uh, problems stemming from the lack of diversity will very quickly become visible and public and will have to be dealt with in a, again, open manner. So I think in the end, it kind of uh, evens out. Mm. Do you think that there could be an element an, or an argument to say that because because open source is more transparent, that people feel less comfortable in getting involved because of that transparency? Like could, could that be part of an angle? Um, I think that's true. I'm not finding a link with diversity per se. I mean, me personally, I have committed to a number of projects over the years. I've never used my own name. Mm. Why? I'm a private person, let's call it that. But yeah. I'm not, so yes, that's definitely something. The openness will make people think twice of putting some code out there that's maybe not the best code you've ever written. You will kind of, I think, look twice because, yeah, it's going to be in the open. People will be able to criticize you. And that's just an advanced or an, an extreme version of peer review. And peer review is a good thing. Yeah. But I don't see how that's a diversity issue per se. Mm. I think there is a link to... I think there is a link to certain people being less you know less willing to see everything they do be exposed and linked directly back to them i can see i think i can see a potential angle there i don't think it applies to everybody but i think there could be something there i don't know well, i do think that the openness will uh, put a, a bit of a, a break on public speech uh, desires by certain people Within the company, you can kind of say things in your small group and, well, maybe people like what you said or they don't like what you said, but it's still, it's in the group. And if somebody leaks it, it's a hearsay thing. Well, I mean, there have been examples in the past where the public mailing lists had uh, things people said that weren't nice. I'm doing air quotes here. That's very good for podcasting. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, that doesn't happen that often. I do think that people that know what they're doing with open source, because there's always people who just don't know what they're doing. But if you know what you're doing with open source, you do know that whatever you're going to say, there's not a chance it's going to get in the open. It is in the open to start with. So yeah. the filter will be a bit stricter, I guess, which is again, mm. what I mean with, yes, probably, I think open source has a bigger problem or a bigger propensity towards uh, nepotism and diversity issues but because of the openness it immediately gets checked and balanced again mm. because well yeah you, you're, in, you're in this glass house yeah yeah no that makes sense that makes sense all right so <laughs> well we'll see i mean the i think the the one the topic we just talked about in the next one are in some ways linked yeah. Uh, and that's um, apparently this is a downside. Like I, uh, well, me as as a socialist, I am. I can totally see this as a downside. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, a downside is that community takes time to build and maintain. And to which my answer is yes. So what? Like 
everything that has is worth doing takes time and effort. Like there's look at this podcast, seven years. Well, almost everything. <laughs> um, I, I just oh, this is. I, I get it that yes, building an open source community does take time, does take effort. You know, we, we've touched on this topic a number of times throughout the podcast. Uh, the podcast's wonderful and varied history. Like I've been lucky to work with a number of different organizations, you know, some directly, some as customers of wherever it was I was employed at the time. And the number of times that you know, some organization I've been part of has said, right, we're going to launch this open source project. It's going to be awesome. It's going to have like billions of people contributing to it. It's going to take over the world. And they release the GitHub repository, and they just wait for the GitHub stars to start you flooding in. That they will come, right? Yeah, not so much. It turns out, and it's just, it's just, it's just naive. Like you need to really, really get a project out there. You need to drive adoption. You need to drive participation. You need to put time and effort into building a community around. An open source project to make it like truly long term successful, and if you don't, then almost certainly like that won't happen, and that's why so many open source projects kind of arrive and then kind of vanish quietly in the night, some days, weeks, months, years later. It's it's just that's the nature of things, and it, I think to your point, some of it is around the meritocracy, like there's. A huge amount of competition and you might think that your project does you know it's like y but better or like x but different because whatever but, but then you're agreeing you know, that for the contributors for the developers the community aspect is a downside a reason not to go open source no i don't i'm not i'm saying that like it's to imagine to expect that a community to build a community that doesn't take time and effort to maintain is ridiculous. Right? It's just a, the statement itself just doesn't make any sense. Of course it takes time to build and maintain a community. And the the assessment or the the thought that it could not take time and effort is just, in my mind, in my mind at least, insane. Yeah, for me, it's mostly that taking time doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I mean, I like watching movies. That takes time. Do I feel bad <laughs> after I watch the movie? Well, some movies, yes. <laughs> yeah, some movies, definitely. <laughs> but it's that's the thing, right? If you're going to do an open source thing, you have to have a community mindset already and be prepared to build this in the open with other people and be inviting of feedback. And it should kind of be part of your DNA at that point. And even though it takes time, you should never see it as a waste of time or a problem or an issue at all. No, it is why you're doing it almost. The development the point you could say it's kind of secondary it's more of i want to have fun talking to people thinking about the same thing let's build some software together i mean that's how some mm. podcasts uh, get born yeah yeah true, true. <laughs> um, and also from the point of view from the consumers i think the community far from being a downside is an upside for me it's it's a it's a brand it's, it's a mark of quality almost mm. If I'm looking around for something to solve a problem and I'm looking at open source solutions for it, I will go to the ones that I can find a lot of talk about, a lot of chatter about, a lot of documentation about, a lot of activity around. 
Mm. I'll typically, for the lesser known ones, go into GitHub and look at the contribution charts. I mean, if there haven't been any contributions by more than two people in the last yeah. six months, I'm not going to start learning this thing, because there's always a learning curve, doesn't matter what you do, because I have my doubts that this project will survive much longer because there is apparently no community around it. Mm. So the formation of the community, because it takes time and effort, if there is a community, it does mean that the people around it are, I was going to say, doing it right, but let's say are have a better chance that they are doing mm -hmm. it right, because you never know. So for me, it's a good thing if the community is there, and the fact that this is indeed a hard and effort requirement to build that community, well, if it's there, it means that somebody put that effort in. So it yeah. is a better solution for me, a better yeah, I'm going to take that project and not the other one that has mm. a lot less uh, things happening. So yeah, community takes time to build to maintain. Yes, true. It's a downside. Yeah. It's an, a reason to do it in the first place. And if it's there, a mark of quality. Yeah. I, I was talking to someone at the, the weekend about um, like the ZFS project, for example. Um, and... Like a community can also change and evolve. Like communities are sure. not static things, and I also I also mean that like participation may wax and wane from different groups of individuals. So the ZFS project back you know a few years ago had um, a lot of investment in terms of time and engineering effort from um, a lot of developers uh, employed by Canonical and a lot of developers that that. Um, were involved in the Ubuntu project. And that was around the, the time where they were sort of potentially looking at ZFS being available on, on the desktop or as a desktop, as part of the desktop installation for Ubuntu. Now, fast forward to where we are today, you know, it's ZFS on the desktop or for the desktop has been essentially abandoned by kind of canonical Ubuntu at this point. Still very much present in server, um, but not present on desktop. Uh, you can't install it that way and all those sorts of things. And if you look at the where the contributions come for ZFS now, like Chronicle and people involved in Ubuntu, practically nowhere to be seen, but there are plenty of other people, individuals, organizations, and other things that are putting a lot of time and effort um, towards them. And that's that's fine. Like, it's it's okay for groups to get involved and then you know maybe when when their needs or requirements or whatever no longer align for them to you know move on do something else like as long as as long as the the community is active and varied and has a diverse group of people from a whole bunch of different backgrounds and organizations and interests then that's a good thing yeah, you do make a good point. That uh, uh, thinking about it, I do kind of split communities in two: the mm. individual contributor, in this case, mm. a good word, and the corporate sponsorship of a project. Because mm. uh, individuals contributing because they have a need, a use, an interest. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Organizations, companies doing it uh, might have that same uh, idea, but another one they can have is competition. And I was thinking about uh, when I was at Silicon Graphics a long, long time ago, they had XFS, which was the, yep. a very big file system. 
And there was a huge group of open source people fighting against XFS because XFS was not open source. It was open source at a certain point, but at the start it wasn't. And mm. I'm no longer sure if it was Extent 4 or BetterFS that then was really gathering other companies, putting their, their, their money and their effort in that project, not because they thought that project was better, but to fight against XFS. Now, the moment XFS yeah. became, yes, we won, they all left. So that's a kind awesome. of very ephemeral kind of sponsorship from those companies. And that is something I do look at if there's a lot of sponsorship from a single or a couple of very tightly knit uh, organizations, I will take that community with a little grain of well, uh, some grain of salt. Yeah, I think I could be wrong. I think it was actually Riser FS that was the... Wasn't that the one that everyone flocked to? Quite and then as soon as XFS kind of opened up its doors, everyone was like, okay, yeah, it's going to go and do that. Well, in the end, they all kind of went away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, because they formed communities for the wrong reasons, and those don't stay around. And mm. ZFS kind of stuck, stuck around because, yes, uh, contributions have gone and waned and ebbed and flowed and whatever, but there's always been a very large group of just people playing around with it. I mean, my own file server here in the next room mm. is running uh, FreeNAS, which is based on ZFS. My yeah. app server is running Proxmox, and the file system below it is ZFS. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of different organizations, communities looking at it, using it, and even if something falls away, something else comes into its place, it has a sustainability built in that way because it never kind of tried to say they were the best or whatever. No, we're good. We have some good things, bad things, advantages, disadvantages. Mm. And if you like us, use us. If you don't like us, fine. Yeah. So there's a difference there yeah. as well in how the community is built up. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you, you, you're interested in the uh, interesting journeys that open source Linux file systems have been through, uh, let us know. Maybe we need, maybe we could do a, an episode or two on uh, on the, the the journey. No, it's not so not so much on file <laughs> systems itself because, like, I frankly don't have the depth to go into that anyway. But I do think it's kind of curious the way that, that the ebbs and flows of like this is the next the next best thing. Like, better FS literally like depending on how you pronounce it sounds like it's the best file system, and yet it's a better FS. I've always uh, heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. <laughs> Anyway, I think at this point, um, on that slippery note. <laughs> yeah, on the on the slippery slippery slope of downsides, uh, I think there's more we can talk about here. So I think we save the rest for another day. Yes, this is all the time you have for today. I hope you enjoyed this little journey in the purgatory of open source. It's kind of nice and toasty, warm with all this cold weather <laughs> outside. So that's a good thing. You can support this podcast. Please become a patron. Contributions do help us keep this thing in the air. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit notification bells, the YouTube stuff. Make Dave happy. You have to smile when I say that. You can also still go to www.roaringelephants.org. There's links to the Patreon page, to the YouTube page, and other, all, all, all the other fun stuff we do with the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, while it still exists, using the at Roaring Elephant tag. <laughs> And you can send plain old email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any suggestions or remarks you might have. Until next time, my name is uh, Toasty Warmion. And my name is Cerberus. I look forward to talking to you again <laughs> next week, really hoping no three-headed Dave shows up. <laughs> and make no promises. <laughs> See you then. <laughs>